Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. This is Jeremy Evans with episode 14 of Believe in Sports Law with your host, Jeremy Evans, via the Believe Podcast Network. Happy to be here today. Today is Monday, October 7th, 2019. And our subject today is going to be on uh, several addition, several different issues going on. The first uh, of which is uh, an article that recently ran, sort of giving an update on the U.S. Copyright Act, and uh, it's just an interesting topic because what the U.S. Copyright Act does, and this is specifically uh, U.S. Code sections 203, 304, and it allows copyright owners and holders basically to go out and issue termination notices. Obviously there's a, there's a statutory scheme for this and folks have to, you know, do it within a specified time period. And it all depends on the current licensing deals and that sort of thing. So this is very specific to each person and when the copyright was granted and all that. But what this does is that it opens up a host of opportunities for uh, creators and owners of copyright to essentially get their works relicensed, and essentially it'll do some work, you know good work for the economy. And then beyond that, it's also an opportunity for uh, for ultimately the studios and streamers to uh, to capitalize in terms of uh, adding to uh, their content and growing their content libraries. So part of this uh, really comes down to, you know, there's that great quote by Jonathan Perelman, who is one of the um, head partners over at ICM, a big entertainment agency in town. And he came up with this great quote called, uh, basically that goes, content is king, but distribution is queen, and she wears the pants. And it's sort of this funny quote, but it sort of talks about and gives highlight to the fact that distribution is key in almost anything. And you have to have a platform to distribute content. Uh, otherwise, nobody can see it, and and it never happened. So, this copyright act is something that is not so much well known, uh, specifically this part of the copyright act, but it allows for, um, for ultimately, for again as I mentioned earlier, creators to uh, relicense their their uh, their copyrighted you know works, and uh, whether it be you know uh, a script or um, you know, a book or whatever it may be. And if there was a grant or a transfer or license of that uh, author's copyright, then they can essentially issue this termination notice and then go out and um, create some new opportunities for themselves. So it's a very significant thing. Uh, I think ultimately there's three takeaways from this. One is to know your rights, you know, despite an uh, uncertain marketplace uh, with regard to not knowing uh, the individual licensing deals that each of these copyright owners have. Uh, and then secondly, with regard to the copyright owners, you know, sort of interest, you know, do they want to uh, issue a copyright, you know, termination notice or not? And I think that's an important point to think about. I think those two things will make for a little bit of uncertainty in the marketplace, but ultimately it's good for you to know what your rights are. And uh, if this is something you should definitely research, if you're a copyright owner and you're in the entertainment, media space, sports space, you know, definitely something to consider. 
And then, of course, knowing when and where you can issue the termination notice, definitely something I recommend you hire a lawyer for, or at least speak with, uh, with counsel on it. And, uh, and again, it's provide for a great opportunity, economic benefit for an owner and or their heirs or um, assigns, you know, in terms of uh, who they've assigned their copyright to, if they're deceased or whatever it may be. So I think that's going to be great. And I, and I think ultimately that these copyright owners, you know, can exercise their rights and uh, we'll probably see multiple buyers being willing to pay. And then I think the uh, second part of this that's important is that streamers are really looking to gain more content. And with so many new streamers coming into the space between Apple Plus and Disney Plus and Hulu now being in, you know, near 90 to 100 percent control of Disney, there's just going to be a lot of uh, streamers looking to add content. So I think these copyright termination notices can help those streamers because if those copyright owners want to issue those termination notices and it's proper and it's done done within the time frame, according to the statutory scheme, I think ultimately these uh, streamers may stand to benefit, uh, as will the copyright owners for getting paid to license their content. So that should be interesting. And of course, I forgot to mention HBO Max, which is another uh, streamer that's going to be coming out here pretty soon. And I think the third piece is really looking at uh, new studios or existing studios getting opportunities to grow their libraries and then eventually either stream that content or put it on linear television or whatever it might be. But again, uh, these are some great opportunities for copyright owners, great opportunities for streamers, and great opportunities for studios, either uh, new or existing, uh, that want to add content to their library. There was an article that I wrote on this uh, via the Sports Radio America platform, and you can check that out. Uh, if you were just to Google Sports Radio America, you could see that and it would pop up for you. So that's definitely something um, that I would check out there. And uh, you can see the Copyright Act there. Again, it's uh, 17 United States Code or USC, Section 203, and then 304, Subsection C, and then Subsection D. So not to get too legal on you there, but um, you know, definitely check out some of those things. So moving into some of the other issues that I wanted to talk about in this specific podcast and moving maybe more into the sports side, if you were around last week, there was uh, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, signed into law SB or Senate Bill 206 via the California legislature. And it is the Fair Pay to Play Act, and it, it really did three important things, which we'll get into. And, uh, you know, number one was the idea that student athletes now who are in college and, and, um, and frankly, really at any time in their careers prior to going pro can seek um, legal counsel or an agent to, to essentially help them through uh, with the process you know, in terms of, uh, you know, should I go pro? Should I go pro? Should I not go pro? Should I seek endorsement deals? Should I not, you know, not seek endorsement deals? So this, this law kind of opens up, you know, that to, uh, to folks do that. Now, if you're thinking that might be surprising and how is it that, you know, you can dictate, you know, that a person cannot, uh, seek, you know, proper, um, you know, representation, this was a, you know, a rule that's been put in place by the NCAA, and, and what ultimately it says is that they're not saying that folks 
you know, previously or at least currently with their uh, current status, you know, despite this law in California, which has now uh, been signed by the governor, is that these student athletes were essentially not allowed to take anything of value or to sign a contract. So that really kind of forbid and kind of kept a lot of agents and attorneys um, sort of out of that business, at least in terms of the now, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, you know, behind the scenes, but I, I think ultimately it created somewhat of a black market. You hear stories about this all the time, but it definitely allows uh, these folks to um, to sort of have those opportunities now uh, via the Fair Pay to Play Act. Now, of course, some other issues that come out from this is that uh, now this law is not going to be going to play until um, 2023, so we have some time for other states to catch up and or for some federal scheme, legal scheme to be in place or for um, possibly for the NCAA to act and for them to do something. Now, of course, there's a lot of other issues here too, which really brings you to the third point. And that being that, you know, this comes down to a lot of people kind of blame the NCAA for a lot of these issues of should we, you know, pay student athletes. And Really, it's it's an actually an NFL and an NBA issue because they have rules in place that forbid student athletes from going pro, and they essentially have to at least spend at least one year in college basketball before they can be drafted. In college football, you have to be I think uh, twenty one, uh, so essentially your junior year in college. So these college academic you know sort of sports programs have really become the training ground or minor league development, if you will. And so I think it benefits both sides. Obviously, the players are benefiting, the schools are benefiting, and of course, uh, the leagues are are benefiting by being able to draft out of these things. But, um, you know, it kind of creates these issues of sort of okay, well, who's to blame here? And, and ultimately, it's that you know the NBA and the NFL have not done a good job on on developing uh, a minor league system. If you look at baseball and hockey and soccer, these are not sports that student athletes necessarily complain about because they have a choice when they graduate from high school they can either go pro and get drafted or they can go to college and i think that freedom of choice is a is a big issue so what does this act do uh, the fair pay to play act it, it essentially allows for an olympic model for student athletes in all sports meaning that they can go out and they can seek private endorsement deals that the marketplace will allow and you know ultimately uh, capitalize on those endorsement deals. Now, one thing to keep in mind is is that these uh, endorsement deals are going to be somewhat limited because what we're really talking about is the top athletes in the major sports, you know, your football and your basketball uh, student athletes at major institutions. So we're really talking about maybe the top 50, the top 100 schools and the top one or two athletes on each of those teams. Maybe there'd be, you know, more schools that have you know, better players, um, you know, as dictated by, you know, the power five conferences and, you know, who's ultimately making it to the national championship games into the, you know, to uh, March madness and that sort of thing. But again, it's going to be limited, you know, based on just what the market can bear, you know, the, the third string, you know, offensive tackle is not going to, you know, ultimately land a huge endorsement deal really talking about the, you know, the, really the, the top draft picks here. And then of course, Obviously, the higher profile the player, the more likely they're to, they're they're to receive an endorsement deal of higher value. And then the other part of this too is is that there's going to be some limitations because a lot of these schools already have uh, 
apparel deals in play. So UCLA is with Under Armour and USC is with, I think, Nike. I think other schools are with Adidas. So, you know, there's going to be some limitations there and it's like anything else. Uh, these athletes are going to be, have to be careful about what they wear because they're not going to be able to show up to a game wearing a Nike shoe if the school's under an exclusive Under Armour deal. So now, of course, off the field is different. But ultimately, I think that's where social media comes into play because uh, these athletes are going to have a hard time promoting uh, a brand that they're endorsing on national television because that sort of has already been carved out with some of these deals. So I guess to recap there, what we're really talking about with regard to the Fair Pay to Play Act is this idea of um, you know student athletes being able to get paid for off the field endorsement deals. Um, I think it raises questions about minor league development in the NFL and the NBA. Obviously, the NBA has the G League, but that's not you know you generally when you hear about the top prospects, they're coming out of the NCAA and the top programs there. They're not coming out of the G League, so. Uh, again, we'll sort of see how that plays out. Um, and then, of course, money will be important here. But I think more important and more significant is the representation aspect. Uh, these these student-athletes now having uh, a clear sort of open to, um, you know, having a situation where, you know, ultimately they can have an agent or a lawyer represent them. And I, and I think that's more significant. I think ultimately having the ability to to do that having you know good counsel is important uh, regardless of where you're at in life and especially for these student athletes so I, you know i guess some closing thoughts you know just sort of thinking about this going forward you know of course one of the arguments against this is you know i think this takes away from amateurism uh, you know i think maybe a few years ago that might have been the case maybe 10 years ago before these large television contracts came into play um and I, and I think ultimately another big issue here is is that if you give student athletes a choice, I think that's different. And I think you can make an argument, um, you know, for that, you know, for for not allowing these opportunities. I think the second thing is that the marketplace is going to dictate this. This is not money coming from the schools. Uh, I think this opens up, you know, essentially an Olympic model, and we already have the Olympic model in play. And you know, I think sort of seeing that move forward, I think some of the issues. And serious issues revolve around what states are going to do, you know, in terms of other other the other states in the union, you know, beyond California. Uh, it's also going to be interesting to see what the NCAA does. You know, are they going to you know pursue some litigation? You know, what will the leagues do if anything? So I, we definitely have some sort of interesting uh, debates going on here, and you know, frankly, I'd be open to sort of hearing what some of the other arguments are and. Uh, obviously a lot of debate going on in, in the community with regard to that. But I think this this law in California does set up uh, at least the potential for a pretty good program going forward. So again, folks, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, this was Jeremy Evans with Believe in Sports Law. Today was Monday, October 7th, and we'll look forward to being back next week and uh, hope to have you with, uh, with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.